Blog Talk Radio. Folks, folks, power just went out in Chris's place, so that's why he disappeared. <laughs> Poor guy. 
anyway, he just texted me and said that uh, I jinxed him because our power was out today for a little while here in Florida Panhandle. And now he's gone. So I don't know what we could do at this point except keep the show running and hope Chris comes back. Let's see. He's sitting back on his cell phone. Let me see. Yeah. Chris, uh, you there? Hey, can, yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I hear you. Oh, my goodness. I was crazy. I started talking about Iran, and uh, and then my power goes out. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but my wife was watching that documentary on uh, documentary on uh, Edward Snowden the other day. The power went out on her, and the Internet went down, and she freaked out about that. So who knows? But, uh, God, I hope it doesn't stay out too long, although I don't know how you feel, but it's supposed to be 100 degrees around here today, so it'd be nice to uh, be able to get some air conditioning here. So anyways, uh, as I was, if I continue here, uh, the uh, – uh, plan on having to see if I can get a hold of Nadir and get him on to talk about this. Uh, Nadir had traveled all around the country, filming uh, himself, meeting small town Americans. He would go into the town, uh, you know, and walk up to people and say, "Hi, I'm an I'm Iranian. Uh, I'm a Muslim, and I wanted to know if you'd like to just I'm here going around to meet people and introduce myself on a you know just a mission to talk to people and to to greet them and be friendly." And he said it was incredible. The, uh, he'd go to churches, he'd go meet people, they'd invite him into his house, and he'd have they'd sit down and have dinner with them. They'd talk about, you know, politics, they'd talk about social issues, and uh, went around the country and, and created this great documentary that was uh, aired, you know, on, on uh, a national Iranian TV. And really, really, you know, showed a, a good side of how our two countries can get along and our people can get along, and that was the purpose of it. And so I have to applaud him on that. But the purpose of today's show is really to talk about this uh, this Iran deal. And unfortunately, with my power out, a lot of my research and everything, it's with you know we rely on computers, and uh, that is uh, uh, unfortunately that's the downside of it. I'm gonna have to do some of the stuff uh, from my head here uh, that I have going on, but that's fine. Uh, the, the the basics of it, it was this this uh, this is called the P5 plus one, this nuclear deal that was signed between Iran and uh, and the uh, five members of the Security Council. Uh, and it was on July 13 here for us Americans that the Obama administration signed on to this historic pact with Iran over its nuclear program. And uh, you know, I've made myself clear over the years. I have some pretty serious issues with the, with President Obama on, on many many topics. And, uh, I, you know, and, and back in 2008, I had worked on a, an election, a presidential election campaign and that uh, um, for a, uh, uh, a Democrat. And, uh, um, you know, it, everybody knew back then that Obama was nothing but a, a corporatist. I mean, he was just in the, uh, you know, he was he was collecting huge amounts of money from corporations and from uh, billionaire donors. So obviously he was going to be holding these people. And honestly, that's why I was very surprised to see him and his administration come along and sign on to this deal. And so I have to give him a great deal of credit for this, because in this case, he really turned a deaf ear to the crazies out there and uh, told his people to sign a deal for peace. And they did. And he avoided a war with Iran that so many people, not just in the United States, but around the world, were, were, were itching for, were agitating for. And I mean, this is, we're talking about Turkey, Syria, we're talking about, uh, well, not so much Syria, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, uh, of course, Israel. Uh, they want war. They want the United States to go in and go to war and uh, to uh, effectively commit genocide in, in Iran because there's no other way. 70 million people, the overwhelming majority of them are uh, are young in their 20s and 30s, so they could probably feel a sizable army. Uh, you'd have to go in there and to topple their government. You know, it wouldn't be like it was in the 50s when we did it. 
when we, we staged this coup and uh, committed acts of terrorism and paid off criminals and thugs to go and protest to the streets. This is this would be a very different situation. So uh, um, he avoided war, uh, and it's a positive sign that peace can win out, uh, even when you got special interests, groups, political leaders, and billionaires mobilized together to, to agitate the war. So this this negotiation really was was part of a global effort. Uh, it was uh, it involved the U.S., Iran, Britain, France, Russia, and China working together to reach an agreement on just how far the Iranians can go with their nuclear aspirations. The um, the specifics of this deal have, have actually been released to the public, and the basic plan entails Iran agreeing to limit its nuclear program in return for the West ending sanctions, you know, some pretty pretty serious sanctions that we've had on them uh, against the Iranian government and other person institutions and, and individuals. Anyone can actually read this pact. You know, that this is one of the things people are running around saying, well, I don't have access to it. I don't have access to it. All you have to do, the Internet, the wonderful thing. All you have to do, and this is what I did, Google Iran nuclear deal or Iran nuclear joint. The actual name of it is the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. And it's only about 120 pages. It contains, I've looked through it, it contains very few technical details. It's an easy read for the layman, for somebody who you don't have to be a nuclear physicist to, uh, to be able to read this. And it provides the entirety of the deal so you can tell anybody, you can tell your friends, family members, coworkers, anybody that they're wrong when they say Iran will be able to do what it wants to do if we sign on to this deal. And, uh, and that's an important point to make because there, there's so much misinformation going on around, around here. Oftentimes, you know, it, it's easy to tell whether a decision is a good one based on who opposes it. And I do this oftentimes where I'll look and I'll, I'll look at something and then a situation and say, well, you know, who's coming down on what side here? And then you can kind of you make a decision. In this case, it's practically a no brainer. I mean, the, the ink had barely had time to dry on the signatures before Israel and its, its lobby in the United States went ballistic over this. And then, of course, prodded on by fanatical pro-Israel donors in the GOP's amen corner, the Republicans also lent their voices to the yowling. Making they made heated promises that they would do anything to kill any peace, any deal for peace, and uh, and you've had top Republicans, the Republican leadership, effectively saying the same thing. Mitch McConnell, John Boehner, they've all said this. So the, the question is, I think that people need to ask themselves is why at this point anybody is going to listen to the Israelis? I mean, this is where a lot of this is coming from. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, they're telling me that the connection is not very good. Unfortunately, there's not much that I can do at this point about it. Um, you know, this is just going to have to to work with it. I think uh, um, the Dave is supposed to be queuing up. who's helped me tremendously. He's supposed to be queuing up some. Uh, um, I sent him a link there. He's supposed to be queuing up some audio of a uh, Carrie actually at this uh, this house hearing. But let me just finish my intro here real quick, and then uh, and then maybe we can get this audio going here. And hopefully the power here will be on pretty soon. Uh, the power will come on and I'll have to boot everything up after that and uh, get myself back locked in and called back in here. But um, anyway, you know, the, the Israel has this form of government called proportional representation. And it basically means it's not like here where winner takes all. There you have, you know, a certain number of votes. And those votes get given out to the to individual parties. And then those parties, they have their own leadership to come together to form some type of coalition government. So what's happened now over the years is you've got effectively the country is being run by fanatics and crazy people, where you've got these coalitions coming together and they have to, these coalitions have to do, you know, these quid pro quos. They have to, in order to keep their coalition and keep the governing body, 
uh, in this case, Netanyahu, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, has to uh, to concede to a lot of. You know, he's, I think he's frankly, I, I think the guy's nuts. Anyways, I mean, he's just a consummate politician, but he has to concede uh, uh, to these, the, you know, a number of these crazy religious nutty parties that are out there. These these nutty people who are there who have absolutely no problem murdering anybody, killing anybody that uh, that they they believe stands in the way of this 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 ancient you know myth that they've created. Uh, and uh, this this myth that they've created about you know the origins of of their country of Israel and it is it's, it's built on a myth but anyways uh, um, you know Netanyahu's been running around the world for for years now telling everybody that the Iranians are only months away from making a bomb and it's going to happen and we have to take the ratings out and so on and so on and it's never happened the the Iranians don't have a bomb they haven't built one yet even Kerry gets into some of these details here which I think frankly are speculation and uh, and some assumptions on his part because people don't know the Iranians have been handed this uh, the task of trying to effectively prove a negative to say that uh, that they uh, you know that they don't have something and it's very difficult for if someone comes to you and says prove you don't have this it's, you know, it's an impossible feat to be able to do that so what has happened in the past few years uh, well what, what's happened is the Iranians have signed onto the nuclear nonproliferation treaty. Uh, which limits the spread of nuclear arms. There's, there's a host of countries that have, have signed on to this with the goal of eliminating nuclear weapons. I think it's notable that Israel has not signed on to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty because uh, they don't want to limit their nuclear weapons. And of course, they claim, oh, well, you know, 70 years ago, uh, they were, you know, they were nearly wiped out. They were genocided by Germany. And uh, today, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who could actually say that they are not in a position of power today, and that it is that that they are actually the ones who are committing the the very acts they accuse others of of doing in the past uh, by by what they're doing specifically to the Palestinian people. Well, Iran's atomic facilities have also been regularly inspected by UN nuclear authorities. Iran has shown great restraints when even when at the time when Israel and I'm sure the CIA colluding with it started assassinating. Iranian nuclear scientists, and I don't know if people remember this, but this was several years ago when Iran scientists started just dying on the streets of Iran from bombs, shootings, and 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 such. And it ended up taking one of Israel's diplomats, I believe, in Eastern Europe, was assassinated before Israel finally backed off a little bit and said, "Okay, fine, you know, and, and if, if we don't really want to play this game." Uh, Iran's spiritual leader, the Ayatollah Khamenei, has issued a religious directive of fatwa banning Iran from building any nukes. And that's an important uh, a note here because because that is you know that effectively at that point uh, really limits the uh, the, the country uh, from from being able to do that because the, uh, the the religious authorities have strong say. Iran has a majlis, they have a parliament, they have a, a prime minister, they have a full government there that, that you know, with, where they have elections, but it is a religious-based government. And so the, the, the religious authorities there, uh, their, their opinions are um, almost uh, lost when, when they state these things. And in a sense, this directive, this fatwa is actually a, uh, it is a law. And so they have said that Iran is not going to build any nuclear weapons. And then I think most importantly, last but not least, and, and Kerry gets into this in this uh, this this 20 minutes of his, his initial introduction that, that, that I think is important for people to hear, uh, he, he makes note of this, is that for the past two years, Iran has actually been living up to the interim agreement and scaling back their research, cutting back their, their nuclear research significantly. So they've already taken the steps to agree uh, to do this. And in, in the meantime, you know, you have uh, Congress here, which is just quibbling over, uh, you know, the, the, in their arrogance, 
uh, is, is looking to backpedal on this. And that's not fair. So I, I think I want to be clear here that I don't think Iran is hardly perfect. They are, they're not a country that, uh, you know, I like to have a beer. I like, you know, and, and alcohol is, is, uh, is, is not allowed in that country. It's allowed in hotels and, and, and where foreigners are in, in Tehran is my understanding of it. But, uh, but it is something that, uh, that is, is the government is against. Uh, the, the government is paranoid and it's absolutely repressive. Uh, and I know individuals who have gone there. In fact, a good friend of mine was, uh, I think it was, uh, he believes the FBI was playing a game and, uh, he was going to fly to Iran to visit family, and uh, the uh, the FBI agent stopped him on the way and said, "You shouldn't go there because uh, the the the, um, the authorities in Iran are looking for you uh, and they want to detain you." And he said, "You know, he doesn't he doesn't believe the uh, uh, U.S. government is as and he has some difficulty with the Iranian government as well too." And so he ended up going to Iran and he landed and they, he was there for several days. And then when he was going to fly back, they grabbed him and took his uh, uh, visa and wouldn't let him leave the country. The Iranians did. And they sat him and started interrogating him and uh, questioning him. And they had, someone had told the Iranian government that he was a spy for, for the Americans. And so uh, uh, he was there and it took a great deal of convincing and they finally let him go. But he believes that it was probably the, the U.S., that had wanted to turn him, wanted to actually, you know, use him and threaten him, and uh, get him to uh, to to work on her si- on their side. And how did he know that? Because in his mosque, the um, uh, the uh, there was a camera set up in the uh, in the main room there, in the prayer room, and he went and smashed that camera and one day, and he was very upset with it. Took a broom, he said, and he knocked it down. And uh, he had uh, shortly thereafter, he had visits from uh, U.S. law enforcement and he was banned. He showed me the letters he was banned from the mosque. So the mosque that he was attending here just outside of Washington, D.C., was actually colluding with the Department of Homeland Security and with U.S. Law, federal law enforcement uh, to set up these cameras so that they can monitor people while they're praying in this mosque. And uh, he was very upset about that. And so he thinks that because he was unwilling to cooperate uh, and that they wanted to turn him into a spy, that he thinks that that's, they were playing these games with him. And so, uh, um, so you know, he has issues both with the Iranian government. And frankly, the Iranian government is paranoid, and they have a right to be paranoid, given what happened, you know, with with Mohammad Mossadegh and the fact that, uh, you know, people think that Mossadegh and the Iranian government seized uh, the uh, the oil, uh, uh, the British British Petroleum's oil, in the 50s. And actually, what happened was that there was legislation entered in Parliament in the Majlis that uh, uh, that sought to uh, nationalize the oil. And the legislation passed by a democratic vote, and then uh, Mohammad Mossadegh was tasked with carrying out, effectively carrying out, the uh, the nationalization of that oil. Uh, and so he, he initiated it. Well, at the time, uh, Britain was not; they had tried to stop it, but Britain, following World War II, as we all know, uh, um, it was what their empire was done. They were out of money. I mean, it's, it's effectively Churchill. Uh, they won the war, but they've, they've, you know, they destroyed their country, and, and uh, they're, uh, they're uh, um, a, t- a small amount, a fraction of what they used that country used to be, you know. And, and World War II is the direct result of that, because that's uh, that's that's what they expended so much, you know, of of their their people and uh, that country fighting that war to win that war that uh, they never recovered from, and to this day they still haven't recovered from it. So the uh, British intelligence approached the U.S., the CIA, which had just been established, and said, hey, we need help, you know, being able to uh, to overthrow this and put the Shah back in power. 
And so uh, uh, everyone knows what happened. Well, most, some people do, but I actually had uh, edited a copy of the, uh, the after report that was written by one of the men who was instrumental in um, uh, carrying out that coup. And uh, what happened was that uh, the interesting story, the after report was at first, was, uh, uh, of course, it's classified, but then it was released to uh, uh, the State Department historians, and people grabbed the report, but it was heavily redacted, uh, and and um, uh, this report, so they couldn't actually, you know, they couldn't get it. But in their idiocy, sometime later, when all of this was posted up the Internet, rather than scan the redacted pages, they scanned the real pages and then overlaid these black lines, the redaction over it. And uh, Cryptome, the website cryptome.org, uh, they they actually figured that out, and they figured out that if you could pause the uh, the load time, you could actually get the unredacted version in there. And so they did that. They saved it, and they released the unredacted version. And I took that and edited it, and turned it into a book. Wrote an introduction to it, and uh, uh, and about and and it contained shocking details about what the U.S. had done: I committed acts of terrorism, hired uh, criminals thugs to go out and, and uh, protest in the streets like fires. They accused uh, Mossadegh of being a communist and being closely tied to this communist, the two-day party in Iran, uh, and also closely tied to the, uh, the the communists when there was absolutely, they knew, they lied, they knew there was no evidence that Mossadegh was, was a communist or had any connections to the two-day party. And uh, and I actually worked with a, uh, a gentleman in this area who he didn't want to be named, but he had a great deal of, of information about this, and he had magazines, and, and he had two-day party magazines, and he had a lot of information that he gave me to help me be able to to fill in the, the, the blanks, the holes that were in this report that that, that was there. And that's called the CIA in Iran. You can actually get it online if you if you just Google the CIA in Iran and, and Google my name to be able to uh, to, to see where that book is and get copies of that book if, if you're interested, anybody's interested. And it is good. And then, of course, there's the famous book, All the Shah's Men, which I have here on my bookshelf that was written by uh, Kinzer. And that's the an American coup and the roots of Middle East terror. And he goes into a lot of the background and some more details into it. But getting back to what I was talking about, of course, the Iranians have a reason to be paranoid because this this coup that the U.S. staged was 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 effective. And in fact, it was a became a blueprint. The U.S. tried to do it a number of times after that, and they were not successful. But they were certainly successful in, in this event. And at first, it almost failed, but but then the, the government collapsed, and, uh, and they were managed to get the, the Shah in power. And there were some interesting individuals involved: Schwarzkopf, General Schwarzkopf's father, the famous general, you know, from the first Iraq War. His father was actually heavily involved in that because he was very close to the uh, the, the Shah's father and, and helped, you know, prior to uh, the Mossadegh. Well, anyways, we know what happened. What happened, the Shah came in and he had his uh, um, Savak and the brutal Savak that tortured people and committed terrible acts. And then eventually they had this uh, Islamic revolution. They overthrew the Shah, Shah fled, and, uh, you know, and then they held these uh, uh, Americans for a period of time there and eventually... Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan conspired to uh, to work out a deal to undercut the uh, the election of, of uh, Carter, and uh, uh, and wrapped hung that around his neck. That Carter was ineffective, and then Reagan uh, uh, managed to take credit for it. When in fact, you know, a lot of the, uh, the 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 groundwork for that was done by the Carter administration. But that's a that's for another story, another time. Anyway, so uh, the Iranians have grounds to be paranoid, and uh, uh, and so they are. And the Iranian government is extremely paranoid. And they're repressive, and so they, um, uh, you know, they, 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 you know, the people who accuse them of of living like this. I mean, you have to understand, given the background of it and the context of it, that uh, that I can certainly understand. I wouldn't want to live there, 
but but I can understand where they're coming from. But nonetheless, this is for the point that I'm making here is that this is really is uh, um, this is a problem for the Iranians. It's not a problem for us as Americans. It's not a problem for anyone else. The Iranians need to solve their own problems and elect their own government. If they're unhappy with their religious government, then they should get rid of it and replace it. But it's not up to us to go in and topple their governments. They're a sovereign nation. We should respect that. And I, and I would add that I, I, I challenge anyone to name a country where the U.S. has toppled, helped topple an existing government and succeeded in establishing peace and order. And perhaps there's countries out there, but at least in today's time, you know, look at the, Libya. Uh, Libya is, is, is a wreck. It's the, it's the worst it's ever been. Uh, and it's a breeding ground for terrorism nowadays. Uh, Iraq is another example of that. Uh, Saddam Hussein was an awful person that we helped put in power. Uh, I don't think anybody shed a tear when he was eventually gone, but he kept the lid on that country and, and turned it into all what was a second world country. I mean, high, high literacy rates. Uh, women were, were allowed to go to school and educate themselves and, uh, uh, you know, and, and people were, you know, were treated right. But it, but it's, those, it's a tough area and those are tough countries. And, uh, and so he ruled it with an iron fist and uh, did some brutal things in order to, 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 uh, to hang on to power. And, uh, um, you know, and, and Christians were, were well represented in this country. And since then, since our toppling that government, I mean, we all know what's happened in, to, to the Christians in Iraq. They've largely had to flee that country. Uh, and um, and uh, the, so they the, the wiped it out, you know. Uh, and these, you can see these images, these, these images of these historic countries, you know, Fallujah, that, that you look at that and, and what it is today. They're bombed out, you know, hovels. I mean, it's just a mess. Uh, sewage in the streets along those lines, and it's it's terrible. So I think the larger point here, though, is that Iran um, hasn't attacked a neighbor in almost two centuries. Uh, of course, people say, oh, well, it's involved in all of these. Other. Well, you know, I mean, it, it funds Hezbollah. It supports Assad in Syria. Uh, we know that. We know that they're close to these uh, the people who have taken over Yemen today, overthrew the, the, uh, this, this government that we liked, which was not a nice guy. Uh, and uh, and and has helped them this this Shia and the, the Saudis are up in arms because they're worried that you're going to have this this Shia you know this wave is taking over these Sunni areas, but it's uh, um, you know uh, it, this is a problem for the Middle East. This isn't necessarily a problem for us. That let the Middle East solve its own problems, and all we're doing by selling weapons to them and and giving them nuclear technology, which we have. We've traded nuclear technology to India. Pakistan stole the, the nuclear technology from us, and there were no repercussions for that. And they built since then built their uh, um, built their uh, uh, nuclear weapons that they have. Um, uh, so you know this is something that if if we got out of it, and if, if uh, uh, the Western powers largely got out, and let them solve their own problems. You know, I don't know, maybe 50 years, 75 years, 100 years, you could probably have some stability. And there, these are old countries that have a that you know that have uh, that were civilizations at one point, and they've just been been terrible since for for you know for decades since then with the fighting and with the conniving uh, the West has, has been involved in there uh, and the problem. Now uh, compare that to the United States, which which and I have some statistics here, which since our founding in 1776, get this, it's important. We've been at war 222 out of 239 years in in our existence. I mean, it's it's shocking. I, I believe the the only times the, the the there's been the years you know that 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 we haven't been at war uh, were were few and far between. And so when you compare that, you know, to to Iran, uh, that who's the belligerent power? Who's the one who's who's going around? Who's, who's starting wars? 
it's not uh, it's not there. So I don't know, Dave. Are you still there? I I think this is a good time. I think to introduce this clip of uh, Secretary of State John Kerry summarizing. Yeah, I'm this. here. Can you hear me, Chris? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Yeah, sorry about the quality of this call. My power's still out. There's no. It it, it was just a few times. It was just a few oh, times that it did the cell phone thing. But oh, yeah. I've been trying oh, yeah. to convert these files, and I'll know actually in a moment if it says it's ninety nine percent converted. But okay, well I can introduce this a little bit. This is the this is yeah, this John Kerry on on July twenty eighth. He was summarizing the nuclear deal before the House Foreign Affairs Committee earlier this week, um, and it was actually him and John Liu from the uh, Treasury Department, and then also the uh, name escapes me, but the the uh, the head of the uh, um, Moniz, I think it's the last name, the head of the Energy Department. They were there too, uh, defending this deal in front of the House uh, um, Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, the entire hearing went on for four hours. I didn't watch the entire four hours. Uh, I was working during the day, but I was I had it on, and it was playing as I was sitting here listening to the some of the the insanity. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spare people a lot of the grandstanding. I mean, you can watch it. You can just go to C-SPAN. You can sit there and watch the four hours, and it is interesting to see. The, you get a good sense of where these guys are coming from because this talk, so much of this talk is Israel, 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 and uh, and everyone knows the 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 Israel power, of the Israeli lobby, the wealth of pro-Israel donors, and then you factor in these evangelicals in the United States, which they call the Amen Corner, for for the Republican Party, uh, and uh, and it's it's instead, you know like in Kentucky, for instance, states where Rand Paul is, that explains why he is so. Uh, pro-Israel and why he's, he's issued these unlike his father is largely because he wants to stay elected and his constituents there are you know largely evangelicals the ones who go out and vote and so he's got to make them happy and this whole you know end times and and uh, this 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 biblical prophecy uh, this this determines policy here in the United States and it's very dangerous so you've got all of these people who are um, attacking this issue from these different angles and uh, and you know you have to wonder what the, the alternative here, of course, is war with Iran. I mean, there is no other alternative other than we stand that 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 the Western countries stand by and nothing happens. But you know that they're already making these claims. They're already uh, making these claims about that, and you'll hear John Kerry make claims about the extent to which Iran has um, uh, uh, has uh, um, uh, enriched uranium, how far it's gone. But if you read the physicists, if you read these, uh, you know, the, some of these good groups. This Federation for Atomic Scientists, it's not, it's not a simple process as, uh, you know, as, as a lot of people would like you to believe. It's not like you enrich the uranium to, you know, and then boom, all of a sudden you've got a nuclear weapon. It doesn't work like that. You, uh, you have to, you know, you have to enrich it to a degree, and it's, a, it's, it's pretty difficult to do that. And then you have to take that, and then you have to obviously figure out how to weaponize it. You have to put it in the bomb, and you have to test bomb, and on and on and on. And it takes you know, years and years and years to do this. A country like North Korea can do it. They can do it in secret because they're somewhat isolated. But Iran, you know, I mean, we've got satellites watching them all over the place. I'm sure that, you know, you've got Israelis are all over them. The Saudis are all over them. The idea that they'd be able to do this in secret uh, is, 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 is ludicrous. Uh, and, and not to mention, they also have International Atomic Energy Agency scientists who are regularly visit that country and uh, go through these, these sites that they have. Now, the claim is they have the secret sites. Okay, well, show us the picture, show us the, the, the photographs of the trucks going in and out of that, carrying the uranium, this type of thing. Give us something rather than just make these claims about that there's some secret secret site out there. And it's, it's funny because John Kerry refers to a uh, um, the, this unicorn notion 
that uh, he, he actually says, he says, this isn't some unicorn deal or something like that. You know, this is a realistic deal. And uh, uh, But so much of this is based on myth. It's based on uh, uh, um, speculation. It's based on people who have serious agendas who want something. Uh, and, and that is to genocide uh, the, the, the Iranian country. I firmly believe that that's what they don't. They won't be happy until you kill uh, the, these, these Iranians and you've you completely wiped them out. I mean, that's the whole joke. Turn it into a parking lot, you know, this type of thing. I mean, it's, it's horrific to see that. And the United States is one of the few countries, the only country that has actually dropped an atomic bomb on another country and murdered uh, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people uh, and, and, uh, and people to this day people still have uh, um, problems as a result of that, physical problems, deformities, as a result of what we did to, to Japan. And, uh, and so who are and we? don't forget about Vietnam. Well, there you go. Yeah, the same thing, too. Sure. So who are we to turn Agent around Orange. and point our finger? Yeah, Agent Orange. I mean, who are we to turn around and to point our finger at? And, and depleted uranium, of course. What was done to Iraq? I mean, it's, it's, you know, you see those photographs of the birth defects and the cancer rates in some of these areas, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, both. You know, are uh, are you know that that who are we to to point our fingers? And unfortunately, the vast majority of Americans don't really know this. They don't get it. They don't understand. Uh, and uh, and so they they just sort why, of gee, why is that? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, you know, well, well, we know why. I mean, we know why because because there are people with an agenda who who only want Americans to know a little bit. And no, I mean, know, yeah, yeah, but the Americans can read if they want. They just don't read. Well, they, they, they just don't. You're right, and and I and that's that's that is an important you know point to to make there. But but I think that and, and it's available as I said before. All you have to do is Google this report. It's 120 pages. Uh, and in fact, in a little bit, if we have some time, I'm going to go down. That there's there's a uh, an attachment that goes with it that has point by point everything that's included in this report. And it's not very long, uh, so so I can go through some of those points after if we got some time here when John Kerry. Uh, um, if we can get the yeah, I'm, I'm almost. Work? Uh... Yeah, well, actually, it, it is working. It's uh, it's downloading, and then I just need a little time just to get that segment in there. Uh, so so we're not too far away from that, fortunately. And I, I just wanted to say you brought up before about how the U.S. Whenever they get involved, notice how I didn't say we. You know, whenever they get involved in other countries' affairs, yeah, it always turns out wrong. Well, yeah. I remember in college, yeah. they assigned a book to us called Endless Enemies, The Making of an Unfriendly World, yeah. America's Worldwide Interventions Destroyed Democracy and Free Enterprise and Defeat Our Own Best Interest by Jonathan Whitney, who is a, if I remember correctly, former Wall Street Journal reporter for New York Times. And basically, he showed, Whitney showed throughout the book that every time the United States has been involved in other countries' affairs. Every time it turned out the opposite of the way that it was intended to turn out. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm not surprised by that. I didn't want to make that blanket statement because perhaps somebody could say, oh, well, what about, you know, I don't know. What about, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, who, who knows? Just pick, pick some Right, but it was, when, it, it, point, it was yeah. when the U.S. did not get involved that it turned yeah. out the way they wanted. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's exactly the opposite. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. And and it makes you, you know, you make a good point there because ultimately people want freedom. They want to be able to read and see what they want to what what they want to see. And the only way that they're controlled is through fear. Is uh, the the you know the, the Iranians are controlled because they're told that the West is out to get them and the Israelis are out to get them. And and actually that's not that far from the truth. 
in reality, they, they, it's very dangerous. They, there are people who would, who would like nothing more than to carpet bomb that entire country and to, to drop a nuke right in the middle of that country and be done with them. And uh, there are people who, in positions of authority who, who believe that. And that's, that's frightening. So, uh, so they have it. But, but the idea that the Iranians want to come here and, uh, and, you know, and, and wipe out is, you know, uh, some football game in Iowa or, or this type of, I mean, it's just absolutely, it's nuts, but, but there are people. Who and and what's, what is their record of uh, foreign interventions? Well, that's it. Yeah. I just, I said that earlier in my introduction that in two centuries, I could not find one example of Iran invading another country. Now people say, oh, well, you know, they, they do it quietly. They, the Revolutionary Guard supports, uh, you know, and then they cite Hezbollah and then they cite Hamas and then they cite, you know, the, the Syrian government. And these are these are people that have organizations and countries that have already been delegitimized de in the West here. When in reality, we know Syria, uh, you know, let's let's stop this right now. Uh, uh, Assad, you know, uh, in that part of the world, that was a stable government before we started assisting these terrorists in that country and the rebel, the so-called rebels in that country to overthrow that established uh, a government. And there were Christians, there were. Uh, they were uh, Muslims were, were living in relative, you know, butted right up against Israel like that, which which does not like Syria at all and would like to see the Syrian government completely gone and have some type of uh, um, either have the country in complete chaos so that they can't, you know, the, the, the Israelis are also paranoid uh, um, that that would not have they, they wouldn't feel this, this this pressure of some government that's against them sitting next to them. So they're doing everything in their power to, to, to overthrow that. But, you know, you have these stories of these, these Christians in uh, now being killed and terrorized in that country because the, uh, the, the government in, in Syria is trying to defend itself from being overtaken by these, uh, by these people. And, and, and the, the insanity, Dave, in this is now, now you, you and I know that um, there was a lot more going on with 9-11 than what the official story is. But if you accept you're a man in the street, you accept the official story of 9-11, then the very people who are looking to overthrow the Assad government based on that narrative, those are the same people. It's the same ideology, the same belief system. So I, I don't understand this. This And, and I have a, you know, I'm I, just looking at, I have more research than I need, unfortunately, for these shows, a great deal more research than I need for these shows. But I have a very good um, uh, a recent column by Pat Buchanan who gets into that into that topic uh, about about the insanity of this and how uh, um, he actually wrote it. They called the GOP's Iran dilemma, and I'm not going to read the entirety of, of his column. You can actually just look it up, just Google it online. GOP's Iran dilemma, and he uh, you know he talks about the uh, the um, the insanity, the hypocrisy in the Republican Party, the uh, the the uh, lack of the failure of logic. Uh, you know the. Uh, uh, with with uh, uh, trying to undermine this peace deal here, because as he makes the point here that uh, um, uh, that that the Middle East is is has changed considerably, and uh, you know he, he writes here he says Republicans seem to be unable to grasp the changes that have taken place in this century, with the Arab Spring, the fall of half a dozen regimes, the rise of Al Qaeda and ISIS, civil wars in Libya, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq, we have a new Middle East. He says, our principal enemies are now al-Qaeda and ISIS, and while uh, both have been aided by our old allies, Turkey, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia, both are being resisted by Iran. But we are reminded Iran's regime is founded upon ideological hatred of America. 
but so too were Mao's China and Stalin's USSR. Yet Nixon forced a detente with Mao and FDR partnered with Stalin. And Ronald Reagan negotiated a strategic arms deal with the evil empire of his time. Bibi Netanyahu and AIPAC, the Saudis and Gulf Arabs, will demand that Congress kill the Iran deal that Lindsey Graham says is a death sentence for the state of Israel. But one trusts at this time the GOP will add a dose of salt to what the hysterics are bellowing. After all, it was Bibi's rant, Iran is hell-bent on getting the bombs only months away, military action, I mentioned this, that teed up the talks for Iran, for, for Tehran. Uh, all Iran had to do was prove it had no bomb program, which was not difficult, as U.S. intelligence had repeatedly said Iran had no bomb program. Then the Iranians proved it. They agreed to cut their centrifuges by two-thirds to eliminate 98% of their uranium, to halt production of 20% uranium at Fordo, to convert the heavy water reactor at Arak that produces plutonium to a light water reactor that produces one kilogram a year, and to let cameras in and give UN inspectors the run of their facilities. And how is Israel with hundreds of atom bombs morally imperiled by a deal that leaves Iran with not a single ounce of bomb-grade uranium? What does Iran get? What Iran always wanted, not a bomb which would make Iran a pariah like North Korea and could bring down upon her the same firestorm America delivered to Iraq, but a path to become, again, the hegemon of the Persian Gulf. Remarkable. Iran agrees not to build a bomb it had already decided not to build, and we agree to lift all sanctions, and they pulled it off. What is one or two atom bombs you can't, atom bombs you can't use without committing national suicide compared to $100 billion in freed assets and a welcome mat back to the community of nations? And perhaps that's what the Republicans are, are so up in arms over, is that this deal, you know, Iran has won either way, because uh, Kerry mentions this in, the, in his introduction there, because if, if, we, if the, uh, the um, Congress fails to, and this is the point, fails to accept this deal and cut the sanctions, then Iran could very easily just walk away from this deal, and they would be in the rights to walk away from this deal at this point, because we would be the ones that had first signed on to it, and then decided not to sign on uh, onto it. So we we uh, um, you know uh, we 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 didn't live up to our our word uh, on this, and uh, uh, and we didn't go along with it. And uh, and this was largely done by these nuts, by these crazies. Uh, who, who mostly are the Republican Party, but admittedly there are plenty of Democrats out there. I think Sherman is one. This Congressman Sherman from California, you watch the four hours there. He's wacky. Angle is another one from New York. He's wacky uh, as well. Uh, and um, uh, now these are both, you know, ardently pro-Israel. They're Jewish. They're ardently pro-Israel uh, congressmen. I think Sherman is uh, um, from California. Uh, both ardently pro-Israel, and that's really who's dictating. You know, it's. it's uh, is, is telling them, you know, what uh, what what those two what what they should be saying about this, and uh, so either way, Iran wins. You know, they they've got it uh, because what's going to happen is that you've got Germany, France, England, Russia, China. They've all signed on to this deal, and the UN is going to reduce these sanctions. They're going to eliminate the international sanctions, so there will not be this type of uh, um, uh, uh, collective sanctions. This 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 uniformity. This, uh, um, this this group uh, uh, pushing through these sanctions anymore. They they will be so the United States will be the only one that has sanctions on them, and uh, they are not going to be able to get this together because you know why would they? Why would they be? And Kerry says this: you're going to go back to Britain and back to France and back to Germany and back to Russia and China and say you have to support these sanctions, even though Iran's agreed to do everything that they're supposed to do and live it up to their end of the bargain. But we're just hypocrites. And uh, we put forward and signed this deal, and then then you've got these nuts in Congress that uh, that stopped this whole thing. Why should they? You know, 
they can do the same thing. And and, and it's it's eerie because this is reminiscent of North Korea on a on a much bigger scale. But in North Korea, a very similar situation happened, and uh, and I talked about this. Uh, I think it was um, back in May when I had uh, Senator my former Senator Mike Gravel from Alaska on my show. We talked about this because uh, this happened with North Korea. The George H.W. Bush administration had negotiated a deal with North Korea for North Korea to stop its nuclear weapons uh, testing and to end its nuclear program. And they successfully negotiated this deal. Well, Bush left and the Clinton administration came in and the Clinton administration and its arrogance did not live up to the, the, uh, the agreement that the, uh, the Bush administration had made. And that was a Republican, strongly Republican administration made this deal with North Korea. And the Democrats come along and they did not live up to it. And more importantly, Congress just ignored it and did not live. We did not live up to our end of the deal. So uh, it's, it's amazing at this point that the Iranians would, that anybody thinks that, that we're trustworthy, that our government is trustworthy, because they repeatedly lie. Uh, they lied in Syria. They lied in Syria about who launched these chemical weapons, and that almost led to war. Thankfully, the Russians came in at the last minute and, and saved the deal. Uh, and in fact, the Russians, uh, they had, as my understanding, the Russians actually had pictures of the serial number on the, 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 the missile that was used to fire those chemical weapons, and they traced it to, I think it was traced back to Turkey, is what it was. And, uh, and then Turkey obviously sold it to the rebels. The rebels had set it off there. So they had a pretty good paper trail on that one. But they stopped this, the, the war in, in Syria, uh, yet you had, and this is why I say John Kerry is a liar, because he stood up there and he said Assad did it, and they know that Assad did it, when the truth is, is they didn't know Assad did it. Uh, and uh, there, was, there was evidence, in fact, there was more evidence pointing to the rebels setting it off to try to drag the Western countries into this war. Uh, and so, so that's why I say that. So why the, the Iranians trust us is, uh, is, is beyond me. And in fact, uh, Kerry even makes that point. If you listen to the entirety of this, I, I, I don't know where it comes up as much later in the hearing, but Kerry says, you know, that Khomeini doesn't, doesn't trust us. The Iranian government doesn't trust us at all. And I think that that's understandable. I don't know how listeners feel about it, but I think it's absolutely understandable that the Iranians don't trust us. They shouldn't trust us. We, we, we have a long history of lying and cheating and scamming and not living up to the, the uh, agreements that, that, that we sign on to with, with other countries. So what happened with North Korea was North Korea thumbed their nose and said, screw it, we're going to go and start our nuclear program again, and they did. And now they have nuclear weapons. And so there was a terrible, terrible, terrible opportunity that was lost to prevent the country from getting nuclear weapons. Uh, another country from getting nuclear weapons. And let's face it, these nuclear weapons are, ins ins I mean, it is insane. You, you think about it, you know, that any one of these, you launch a couple of these things and uh, you could destroy life on Earth, you know, uh, life, mankind on Earth. That's it. We, we can't live there anymore uh, with, with these weapons that we have. And that is the insanity of this whole thing because who's going to win? Oh, great. You know, mutually assured destruction was the old thing, right? We all grew up with. We remember that, mutually assured destruction. That uh, you know, book. That was the only thing that was keeping the peace was the fact that we both knew that we would just destroy each other, and uh, there would be no life left on Earth. And it's you know, I, I, is there is any other animal on this planet that that uh, that has that same you know mentality that they that they'll just destroy everything? No other. I mean, it's, humans are unique uh, in that on this planet anyway. And I mean, perhaps there's other life forms in outer way out in outer space that uh, that have this similar technology. But uh, um, that they could wipe out, you know, universes, everything, and perhaps they've done it in some other you know, far distant galaxies. I, I don't know, but but it just seems to me that it's just absolutely crazy because the Iranians that I've met, very nice people, you know, wonderful people. 
that I've met. Uh, and the guys they're like just deer. like us, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like us, you know. And then the deer was, was and, great. Very and, brave. And remember, you know, I have a connection to the country because my dad came from there. So that's right. He's yeah. told me about yeah. it. That uh, yeah. you know, people people there, different religions live together just fine. Yeah, yeah. There's there's what twenty five thousand Jews that live in, in Tehran, you know. And uh, right, while, especially you know, yeah, he. They had a one member of the the parliament, the Majlis, was Jewish. I don't think he, he's still there anymore, and I, I his name escapes me. But but they have a very active community, and Israel keeps trying to bribe them to to leave Tehran and come to Israel, and they don't do it. Yeah, because they say we've lived here forever. You know, they're probably yeah. converts, like like the Israelis today are converts. You know, sometime. But uh, they were probably, I'm sure they were probably Persians and were converts themselves. But they have a historical connection to that country, and that's their home, and they want to stay there. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure the Israeli government watches them like hawks. Of course they do, because, you know, because we know the Israelis have made it very clear that they have spies all around the world. That's a big thing for them, is the spying. That's that they right. do, um, You know, and that they have these regular, what's the name? Do you remember the name for it? I forget the name for it, where they have these, uh, these, these, uh, these guys who are in secret hiding. Yes, these, uh, these, yes, these it's, uh, it's <laughs> someone who does that is called a uh, Sionist. Yeah, Cyanin, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's very well known, everybody, you know, well, not everybody knows about it, but it's very well known that they, that, and they certainly don't hide the fact that they have these spies. And it happened, I mean, the fact there was that uh, that murder in France uh, recently where these uh, these uh, Jewish, uh, um, in Paris, I believe, these Jewish uh, um, uh, uh, antiquities, uh, there was an antiquity dealer or a, uh, uh, these, muse- these guys who had these museums, they were killed, it was a husband and wife. And uh, there's plenty of people believe that they were probably signed and that they were spies and there was some weird espionage thing going on there. It wasn't a hate crime. It wasn't some, you know, Muslim terrorists decided to one day come along and shoot to uh, um, uh, uh, a Jewish husband and wife just, you know, were sitting there and gazing up at some beautiful artwork on the wall or something. These were... Uh, these were were, uh, um, were spies, and I think it's 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 a it, it, important corollary here is that in in that that book that I edited the CIA in Iran, uh, the, uh, the 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 man who did the after reports and I, his name escapes not on the tip of my tongue right now. I, I'm looking for my book here on the bookshelf. Um, the individual here it is right here. The individual who did the after report. Uh, he uh, he was a a well-known Persian rug dealer. Is uh, um, uh, and uh, he was an American, and he uh, um, uh, very well known. Project Ajax was the name of the project. Donald Wilbur was his name. Doctor Donald Wilbur. He was the one who uh, he wrote the uh, the after report, and uh, he had uh, he was just a, a businessman, and uh, you know that was his, uh, his his that's what his cover was was that he was a businessman and an importer, and he uh, he worked in uh, in Tehran and also the United States. And he was the, uh, that's right, here he is. There's a picture in this that I had gotten of him. He was a CIA operative. He was, well, prior to the, the, uh, the creation of the CIA, he was, uh, he's always been a U.S. spy. And I have a picture of him while he was in Egypt in 1930. He was one of the principal organizers of Operation Ajax, the coup to overthrow the democratically elected government of Iranian Prime Minister Mohammad Mosaddegh. While serving in the Middle East as a covert operative for U.S. intelligence, Wilbur, a specialist on Iran and Afghanistan, wrote extensively about his travels and was also renowned as an expert on Oriental rugs. So you get these guys here and, you know, you meet these, these foreigners and, and these, these, you know, these guys know that U.S. embassies are hotbeds for, for spooks. Uh, and um, in fact, the U.S. embassy 
at the time of Mossadegh's overthrow had actually sheltered a number of these guys who were actively involved in the coup who were looking to overthrow it. And uh, uh, they, they were the ones that, that saved it, that, that these guys sought shelter in the U.S. Embassy, and that's what, what turned it around and allowed them, because coup was actually failing. When you read this after, after of course, fascinating uh, read on this. And it's all primary. It's written like a story uh, that, that like, he's, like this, this uh, Dr. Wilbur is telling the story is how he wrote it. And this is, and I'm sure that many of these are there. And unfortunately, there still are a lot of these, uh, uh, are, there are still redactions in this, um, this edited uh, book that I did. But I did my best to be able to get the inform- as much information as I could into this. Uh, and, and the claim has always been that, oh, well, they're very worried that some of these names that are in there are, uh, um, this is what I was told, why it's still redacted, was that the concern is that these names of, of people, of Iranians who were in there who helped the coup from the U.S. perspective, they were afraid that uh, um, uh, that these guys, there would be repercussions for it. But I was told specifically that that's laughable because the Iranians have copies of the unredacted report. The two-day party had copies of the unredacted report. Everybody knew who the Iranians who were involved in this. And these are all very common names. These are military figures who were bought off by the by the CIA, by the Americans to help in, in, and be involved in this coup. And everybody knew it. Everybody knows their names. And they are their common household names uh, uh, that, uh, um, that like one of the names in here that that had me redacted that I, that I was helped with is uh, Zahedi, who is a uh, he was he would assume, you know the U.S. had set him up to assume office as chief of the general staff. He was one of the military guys that was bought off, and uh, that was in there. And uh, his name was redacted throughout this whole thing. But this individual that uh, I was working with had helped me to be able to get this guy's information. General Zahedi is his name. Um, and uh, uh, and he's the one that uh, was was uh, was heavily involved in the overthrow here, and uh, he did it for I think it was seventy five thousand dollars is what the U.S. gave him, and that was probably quite a bit of money in the nineteen fifties. But that's what uh, that's the amount of money that they offered him to carry this out. So I think we're we're running out of time here, Dave. So I don't think we're going to be able to do this uh, to carry's. Uh, um, uh, oh, don't say that, Chris. I've been struggling um, with this thing. Got, I'm almost there. Well, do you think you can do it? If you can do it, do it. If not, well, I, I, I know I can. I, can I just, uh, I just need a few. I, no, no, no. I just need a uh, a few more minutes, actually. Okay, great. And, good, um, good, good, good. good. Yeah, well, I think it's a few more it, minutes you know, because I I listened to the uh, like for example the Senate hearings. The news focused on the um, and I don't have it in front of me. The head of the Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee that Kerry was testifying before said in the beginning he said. Uh, we're being fleeced, you're being fleeced with the exact words. And they played that little uh, news, news bite over and over and over again. Well, later on, that senator actually apologized because they tore him down. They said, you know, Senator, you say we're being fleeced. You effectively at this time have to say that the entire world is being fleeced, that the Germans are being fleeced, the French are being fleeced, that the Russians are being fleeced, the Chinese are being fleeced, the, uh, the British are being fleeced, the, 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 the entire United States is being fleeced all by these Iranians. And, uh, and, and the guy actually backpedaled after that and said, well, well, I didn't mean you exactly. I meant kind of, you know, he just sort of, he went into some really pathetic explanation of what he meant when in fact he was basically saying, I'm an idiot, you know, and, uh, and I just blurted that out. But they, but, but the, the U S media played that, that little soundbite over and over and over again, as if that, as if it meant anything, as if, as if this guy had any, this, this, uh, the senator had had a uh, uh, that his point was was strong that that he was he made his point and uh, in reality 
he hadn't made his point. It was just that it was it, it was later shown to be a stupid thing that he said. Uh, and so I, uh, you know, if if I might as well, I got we got time here. I might as well go ahead and uh, uh, you know this is you can actually find this online, which is a very short explanation, and it's called the Parameters for a Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action Regarding the Islamic Republic of Iran's Nuclear Program. And this goes into the specifics. This goes into the uh, just some of the deals here. And as far as the enrichment is concerned, Iran has agreed to reduce by approximately two-thirds its installed centrifuges. Iran will go from having about 19,000 installed today to 6,000 installed under the day, with only 5,000 of these enriching uranium for 10 years. All 6,104 centrifuges will be IR1s, Iran's first-generation centrifuges. Now, I did do some reading on that. Apparently, these IR1s are like, you know, I mean, they're like like Volkswagen Beetles compared to today's Ferraris. These are like, you know, these are, are pretty pretty weak, you know, pretty pretty pathetic uh, uh, enrichment um, uh, centrifuges. These are not, you know, sophisticated, fancy centrifuges that are there. Iran has agreed to not enrich uranium over 3.67% for at least 15 years. Uh, Iran has agreed to reduce its current stockpile of about 10,000 kilograms of low-enriched uranium to 300 kilograms of 3.67% LEU for 15 years. All excess centrifuges and enrichment infrastructure will be replaced in IAE monitored storage and will be used only as replacements for operating centrifuges and equipment. Iran has agreed to not build any new facilities for the purpose of enriching uranium for 15 years. Iran's breakout timeline, that's the time that it would take for Iran to acquire enough fissile materials for one weapon, is currently assessed to be two to three months. That timeline will be extended to at least one year for a duration of at least 10 years under this framework. And even that, they get into some of the specifics of it, this whole breakout time, this notion that being able to acquire enough fissile material for one weapon, that's just one weapon, first of all. And that's not even the testing, not everything that's involved that's there. And if someone tests a nuclear weapon, the entire world knows. It's, it's a, it is a fallacy. Iran has agreed not to enrich uranium at its Fordo facility for at least 15 years. Iran has agreed to convert its Fordo facility so that is used for peaceful purposes only into a nuclear physics technology research center. Iran has agreed to not conduct research and development associated with uranium enrichment at Fordo for 15 years. Iran will not have any fissile material at Fordo for 15 years. Get to the next page here. Almost two-thirds of Fordo centrifuges infrastructures will be removed. The remaining centrifuges will not enrich uranium. All centrifuges and related infrastructures will be placed under IAE monitoring. Iran will only enrich uranium at the Natanz facility with only 5,060 IR1 first-generation centrifuges for 10 years. Uh, and it goes on and on some of the specifics. Iran will not use IR2, IR4, IR5, IR6, or IR8 models to produce enriched uranium for at least 10 years. Iran will engage in limited research and development with its advanced centrifuges according to a schedule and parameters which have been agreed to by the P5 plus 1. And the, the, the details are in there. For 10 years, enrichment and enrichment research and development will be limited to ensure a breakout timeline of at least one year. Beyond 10 years, Iran will abide by its enrichment and enrichment R&D plan submitted to the IAEA and pursuant to the, this, uh, this joint agreement there under these protocols that are established. Uh, and I think it's worth mentioning here that uh, um, Iran has already inspected uh, and uh, it is already, you know, that there are satellites, cameras all over the place watching these guys. And they're willing to do this. And Iran, this is, and, and so far, Iran has not broken any laws. This is all perfectly legal, what it's been doing. Signing out of the Nuclear Proliferation Treaty it is simply following, as, as it says, it, there's no evidence that, that it has a bomb program uh, that is actively weaponizing uranium. It has followed legally 
the uh, um, uh, it's, its nuclear uh, program to develop nuclear energy is, is is what they claim, and their their actions have not disproven that at all. So, uh, in spite of the fact that everything they're doing has been legal up to this date, they are still agreeing to take these steps here that that they want to take and uh, that that they want to be able. So they they want to be able to work with the West. They want to be able to be accepted back back into uh, you know and 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 function and function in the West. And so the idea that that Congress would 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 kill this deal is just it it's it's it really is is you know it it shows the arrogance uh, and the the insanity that is 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 taking hold here in the United States. And you can read this; it goes on and on and on specifically about it. Now, as far as the sanctions are concerned, Iran will receive sanctions relief if it verifiably abides by its commitments. Uh, U.S. and EU nuclear-related sanctions will be suspended after the IAEA has verified that Iran has taken all of its key nuclear-related steps. If at any time Iran fails to fulfill its commitments, these sanctions will snap back in place. The architecture of U.S. nuclear-related sanctions on Iran will be retained for much of the duration of the deal and allow for snapback of sanctions in the event of significant non-performance. All past U.N. Security Council resolutions on the Iran nuclear deal issue will be lifted simultaneous with the completion by Iran of nuclear-related actions addressing all key concerns. Enrichments, Fordo, Iraq, those are the, the, these, uh, these facilities, PMD and transparency uh, that, that, are, that are there. And, uh, and this deal goes on indefinitely. That's there. They talk about some numbers, 10 years, 15 years. For 10 years, Iran will limit domestic enrichment capacity in research and development, ensuring a breakout time of at least one year. For 15 years, beyond that, Iran will be bound by its longer-term enrichment and, and enrichment research and development plan that's shared with the P5 plus one. That's the, uh, those are the uh, UN security members plus Iran. For 15 years, Iran will limit additional elements of its program. For instance, Iran will not build new enrichment facilities or heavy water reactors and will limit its stockpile of enriched uranium and accept enhanced transparency procedures. Important inspections and transparency measures will continue well beyond 15 years. Iran's adherence to the additional protocol of the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, is permanent, including its significant access and transparency obligations. The robust inspections of Iran's uranium supply chain will last for 25 years. That's a long, when you think about it, 25 years, that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's a good amount of time to, to, to agree upon this. Now, the Republicans have said, well, hey, listen, if we get a Republican elected, we're not going to honor this agreement, even if it does get passed. And if that's the case, then I, I don't know what, what, this, what the world's going to do. I, I really don't. Um, I, I'd like to believe that, that they will, that if, because if, I, I think I've said before, I think that ultimately 2016 is going to come down to Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush, I mean, both of whom have already raised. I think in the neighborhood of around $100 million for their, uh, their, their, their campaigns. And they really haven't been full on in these campaigns yet. But I think it's going to be Hillary versus Bush, unfortunately. And it's going to be uh, the, the choice is going to be between those two, even though I will definitely I will probably vote Green Party or some other third party candidate, as I have always done, uh, um, at least done for the past, I don't know, decade, you know, more than that uh, voting. Past two decades, probably voting, uh, and so uh, um, it, it will come down to either one of those ones, uh, and uh, between those two, and I like to believe that uh, that both of them would honor this agreement if it is reached, but I guess we'll have to see. You know, we'll have to see what's going on. How are we doing with that? Uh, with with that, uh, um, Carrie? Uh, well, I hate to keep saying we're almost there, but we are almost there. So, <laughs> I mean, the problem is it's such a large file. Yes. That, yes. Yes. You know, just uh, getting it to uh, 
you know, manipulating it around is a little difficult because yeah, it's, as yeah. you said, four hours, but we are going to get there. We are going to play the clip and, uh, and hopefully it will just be a few more minutes. And, and, you know, I appreciate that you have all this knowledge and you can talk about it. And I have to read that book that you put together because I have not yet. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating book, I think. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's scary at the same time, but it really just, it really shows you how, how far, the U.S. goes in, in, in carrying these things out. So, you know, that's why whenever I see, you know, for example, some, you know, uh, Muslim religious leader has issued a statement that, uh, um, you know, that, that he thinks something is wrong or so-and-so is wrong or so-and-so needs to go, Saad needs to go or something like that. I always think back to this book because the CIA had an entire art, has an entire art department where they create posters. They create, uh, if you've ever wondered why you'll see you'll watch a protest in Ukraine or you'll watch a protest in China and there'll be some guy standing there with a sign that's in perfect English that says, you know, so-and-so's got to go or something like that. I mean, I think back to these, this, this after report there where they talk about the CIA's entire art department that created uh, posters. They created, um, they created a picket, you know, these picket signs, they created everything and they paid off all, they got a bunch of guys from this, this, uh, this, the, 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 the Iranian bazaar down in, uh, in apparently it was all, and they even say in there that they were drug addicts and uh, drunks uh, and derelicts that they, they paid these guys a little bit of money and slapped signs in their hands and sent them marching down the streets uh, with these, these posters that were created by these, by the CIA. And they, they snuck them in through the embassy and handed them out to these guys and had them marching down the street, these, these post-Shah anti-Mosaddegh uh, posters uh, that were there. Some of them were written in Persian. Some of them were written in English. And they also had issued, uh, they fabricated names of, uh, you know, of, uh, of these, these non-existent Muslim religious guys and had these uh, Muslim religious guys issue, you know, they, they, would, they would say these, these fabricated Muslim, you know, religious figures would issue these, that, the support for the Shah versus, and say, Mosaddegh's got to go in, in order to try to get this. And, and I think about that, like, for example, you remember the claim, right, that Osama bin Laden's big porn collection, big porn stash that he had. Uh, and this is the type of stuff that I, that I think of. That uh, when I hear things like that, I think, okay, well, maybe he did, but it's equally likely that this just simply was by uh, by the um, by U.S. intelligence in order to propagandize and discredit this guy specifically in the eyes of uh, of Muslim supporters. But but it's funny because you talk to Iranians, you talk to uh, Arabs, and they're very aware of this. They know they 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 know that the U.S makes this stuff up and that it is actively involved in this. But Americans largely are clueless. You know, they think we're the white hats running around the world trying to spread bring Jeffersonian democracy to uh, caves in Afghanistan. And in reality, you know, you read a book like this, it really demonstrates how sleazy it is and really how there's some nasty, nasty stuff that we've done uh, uh, there. And, uh, and I'm sure it's bad today you know well of course it's just bad today i mean you know that but nothing is that that that, that there's few things that i've seen today that are definitive and as shocking as this this after report uh, when you read it the cia in iran when you read this well you can actually if you don't want to buy the book you can you can go to cryptome.org and uh, do a search there and you can download the report yourself and read it um and it doesn't it i think there are portions of that that are still redacted it doesn't have the um the the, the holes that i had filled in and the work that i did on the book trying to uh, to clean it up but you get a good sense of of what's there and uh and just just uh you know how just how bad it was and just just what we did and uh and how far we went 
And so, and I think, as I said before, not we, not we, yeah. my well, friend, not right. me. Yes, yes, Washington, the U.S. government. Uh, right. And I, when and, I was and, out of college, I had I had dreams of working in the U.S. government. I was going to do it, you know, and uh, work in the State Department or work at AID or one of these things. And just by sheer luck, and so oh, the power's back on. Just by sheer luck, I think uh, they um, uh, the power's back on because my incubator just kicked in. And Dave, I got to tell you a sad story about that. I had a, I hatched yeah. out a bunch of quail. I hatched out a bunch of quail in my incubator. And uh, um, I had, well, three of them hatched out. There were 12 eggs, and they were not in good shape. Uh, the, the eggs were old, unfortunately. I got them from this guy for free. And so anyways, I hatched out three out of a dozen. And uh, normally you leave them in the incubator for, you know, for about 12 to 18 hours to, to dry off in there. And they've, they've eaten inside the eggs. They've got enough that the, uh, the chicks have enough food in their stomachs. So they're perfectly fine. But I have a little bowl of water in there that brings humidity in the incubator. And I got home last night, and two of these, the quail are, you know, you know quail. I mean, quail. You know, you, you know what quail are? They're they're little little birds, and uh, you know they're 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 about the size you know about the size of a maybe a, a fist a little bigger. But these are tiny little chicks that hatch out of these itty bitty little eggs. And two of them had fallen into this bowl of water and drowned. And the water was 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 not that deep. I don't know how they drowned, but I guess they're just so tiny, and they're probably just so tired that they just you know flopped around in there and eventually just laid down. And so I came home. I only had one one of these little quail survived out of uh, out of the three that I hatched out. So farm life unfortunately it's not always pretty it's uh, there's a lot of uh, death and uh, a lot of uh, disgusting things that you got to deal with and like uh, two weeks ago when I had those big uh, black snakes that were trying to eat the eggs in the uh, shed and I had to drag them out of the shed when one guy was probably about six feet uh, that's one guy that was there and uh, they're fine I don't mind the black snakes but that's I think I sent you a picture of that one right that was the female that was sitting there and had this massive chicken egg and she was trying to swallow it was actually pretty funny she had her she had her jaw unlocked she was trying to get her jaw underneath this egg to be able to swallow this huge egg. That was there, so it was pretty good. But the uh, the male, who was about six feet, he uh, he would have had no problem. He, I, I know they were sucking down eggs because I've been missing eggs lately. Uh, so that's there. Anyways, well, my power is back on here, Dave. But um, what uh, um, you know, do you think we can get to awesome. watch this? Or yeah, oh, my internet's back. Yeah, on. oh yeah, it's up. It's actually it's actually finally uploading into where we want it to be, and yeah. so. It shouldn't be more literally than a few minutes. Glad to hear your power's back up. Good, yeah, it's nice. Excellent. So let me just check the progress of this because it might be up there already. Hold on a second. It's funny we just had that conversation earlier, right? I mean, it's that's the that's the the, the funniness of right. it. Is that uh, we had this conversation and you said, "Oh, look at the power's gone on around here. It's terrible." And I said, "Oh, that happens all the time out here in the country." And sure enough, you know, 15 minutes into the uh, the radio show, the power was toast. <laughs> My power went down. <laughs> Enough in two different parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, let me yeah. see what we got here. This is yeah. This is processing. So uh, let me check it out again, and okay. I might be ready to play it. All right. Hold on a second here. Well, that's good news. We uh, we got that done almost. Let's yeah. see. And that's that's done as soon as it is. I'll play it. it says processing, but. Sometimes when it says processing, it's actually done. Yeah. So let me see if it's in here. Okay, and that's the House hearing on Iran nuclear deal clip. That's it. it should be about 20 minutes. It's ready to go. So. All right, good. Well, let's get back and listen to it here, and then get a get a earful of John Kerry and. 
I did the heavy lifting here and spared these people having to sit through four hours of grandstanding here, which is just the congressman making these silly speeches and appealing to their constituents and their donors. Yeah, let me just uh, say that I guess they had a problem there with their system. Because when oh. Kerry was yeah when Kerry was introduced for the first mm-hmm. almost minute, there was no sound. Oh, so really? huh. you're not yeah you're not going to get to hear Kerry for the first minute. But I cut out that space, so it's going to just okay. go right into him. And here that it goes. So good. instead of being 17 minutes and two seconds, it's 16 minutes and 31 seconds. Ah, good. Okay, sounds good. And it's in hi-fi. Here we go. Alrighty. Testimony. We have most of the members present here. I know we all recognize the gravity of this issue. We want everyone to have a chance to question the secretaries. To accomplish that, I would ask everyone, members and witnesses, respect the time limit, and that means leaving an adequate amount of time for witnesses to answer your questions. And nothing requires full use of your time. So we'll, we will begin with a summary of Secretary Kerry's testimony. all about and we welcome the opportunity uh, we are convinced that the plan that we have developed with five other uh, nations uh, accomplishes the task that President Obama set out which is to close off the four pathways to a bomb and I think as you listen to Ernie Moniz particularly uh, on the technical components and see the whole deal. I, I, I really believe uh, that uh, that is a conclusion that everybody can come to. Not saying they will, but can. I'm joined by obviously two cabinet secretaries. Uh, both Ernie and Jack were absolutely critical to our ability to do this. Uh, uh, the Treasury Department's knowledge of the sanctions and application of the sanctions has been exemplary, uh, and they helped us understand the implications of all of these sanctions. Uh, and as Jack will let you know, we're not talking about $150 billion. We're not talking about $100 billion. We're actually talking about about $55 billion that will go to Iran, and we'll go into that later. Uh, but from the day that our negotiations began, Mr. Chairman, we were crystal clear that we would not accept anything less than a good deal, uh, one that would shut off all of those pathways towards fissile material for a nuclear weapon. And after 18 months of very intensive talks, uh, the facts are pretty clear that the plan announced uh, this month by six nations, uh, in fact, accomplishes that. I might remind everybody, all of those other nations have nuclear power or nuclear weapons. Uh, And all of them are extremely knowledgeable in this challenge of proliferation. So under the terms of this agreement, Iran has agreed to remove 98% of its stockpile of enriched uranium, dismantle two-thirds of its installed centrifuges, and destroy, by filling it with concrete, the existing core of its heavy water plutonium reactor. Iran has agreed to refrain from producing or acquiring highly enriched uranium and weapons-grade plutonium for nuclear weapons forever. Now, how do we enforce or verify so that that is more than words 
and particularly to speak to the ranking member's question, what happens after 15 years? What happens is forever. We have an extremely rigorous inspection verification regime because Iran has agreed to accept and will ratify prior to the, uh, to the uh, conclusion of the agreement and with, if they don't, it's a material breach of the agreement, to ratify the additional protocol, which requires extensive access as well as significant additional transparency measures, including cradle-to-grave accountability for the country's uranium, from mining to milling, through the centrifuge production to the waste for 25 years. Bottom line, if Iran fails to comply with the terms of our agreement, our intel community, our energy department, which is responsible for nuclear weaponry, are absolutely clear that we will quickly know it and we will be able to respond accordingly with every option available to us today. And when it comes to verification and monitoring, there is absolutely no sunset in this agreement. Not in 10 years, not in 15 years, not in 20 years, not in 25 years. No sunset. Now remember, two years ago, when we began these negotiations, and a lot of people are, are, are kind of forgetting, conveniently, sort of where we are today. People are sitting there saying, oh my gosh, in 15 years this is going to happen, or whatever. Iran's going to have the ability to be, uh, you know, capable nuclear power. Folks, when we began our negotiations, we faced an Iran that was already enriching uranium up to 20%. They already had a facility built in secret underground in a mountain that was rapidly stockpiling enriched uranium. When we began negotiations, they had enough enriched uranium for 10 to 12 bombs already. Already they had installed as many as 19,000 nuclear centrifuges and they had nearly finished building a heavy water reactor that could produce weapons-grade plutonium at a rate of one to two bombs per year. Experts put Iran's breakout time when we began, which remember, is not the old breakout time that we used to refer to in the context of arms control, which is the time to go have a weapon and be able to deploy it. Breakout time, as we have applied it, is extraordinarily conservative. It is the time it takes to have enough fissile material for one bomb, but for one potential bomb. It's not the amount of time to the bomb. So when we say they'll have one year to a certain amount of fissile material, they still have to go design the bomb, test, do a whole bunch of other things. And I think you would agree, no nation is going to consider itself nuclear capable with one bomb. So if this deal is rejected, folks, we, by the way, we, that the existing, when we started negotiations, the existing breakout time was about two months. We're going to take it to one year and then it tails down slowly and I'll explain how that provides us with guarantees. But if this deal is rejected, we immediately go back to the reality I just described without any viable alternative, except that the unified diplomatic support that produced this agreement will disappear overnight. Let me underscore, the alternative to the deal that we have reached
is not some kind of unicorn fantasy that contemplates Iran's complete capitulation. I've heard people talk about dismantling their program. That didn't happen under President Bush when they had a policy of no enrichment, and they had 163 centrifuges. They went up to the 19,000. Our intelligence community confirms, and I ask you all to sit with them, they'll tell you that's not going to happen. So in the real world, we have two options. Either we move ahead with this agreement to ensure that Iran's nuclear program is limited, rigorously scrutinized, and wholly peaceful, or we have no agreement at all. No inspections, no restraints, no sanctions, no knowledge of what they're doing, and they start to enrich. Now, to be clear, if Congress rejects what was agreed to in Vienna, you will not only be rejecting every one of the restrictions that we put in place, and by the way, nobody's counting the two years that Iran has already complied with the interim agreement, and by the way, complied completely and totally, so that we've already rolled their program back, we've reduced their 20% enriched uranium to zero, that's already been accomplished. But if this is rejected, we go back to their ability to move down that road. You'll not only be giving Iran a free pass to double the pace of its uranium enrichment, to build a heavy water reactor, to install new and more efficient centrifuges, but they will do it all without the unprecedented inspection and transparency measures that we've secured. Everything that we have tried to prevent will now happen. Now, what's worse? If we walk away, we walk away alone. Our partners are not going to be with us. Instead, they'll walk away from the tough multilateral sanctions that brought Iran to the negotiating table in the first place. And we will have squandered the best chance that we have to solve this problem through peaceful means. Now, make no mistake, from the very first day in office, President Obama has made it clear that he will never accept a nuclear-armed Iran. And he is the only president who has asked for and commissioned the design of a weapon that has the ability to take out the facilities and who has actually deployed that weapon. But the fact is, Iran has already mastered the fuel cycle. They've mastered the ability to produce significant stockpiles of fissile material. And you have to have that to make a nuclear weapon. You can't bomb away that knowledge any more than you can sanction it away. Now, I was chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when we, a lot of us, joined together and put the, uh, many, most of the Iran sanctions in place. And I know well, as you do, that the whole point was to bring Iran to the negotiating table. Even the toughest sanctions previously did not stop Iran's program from growing from 100 and, 100 and what, 63 to 300 to 5,000 to more than 19,000 now. And it didn't stop Iran from accumulating a stockpile of enriched uranium. Now, sanctions are not an end to themselves. They're a diplomatic tool that has enabled us to actually do what sanctions could not without the negotiation. And that is to rein in a nuclear program that was headed in a very dangerous direction and to put limits on it, to shine a spotlight on it, to watch it like no other nuclear program has ever been watched before. 
we have secured the ability to do things that exist in no other agreement. Now, to those who are thinking about opposing this deal because of what might happen in year 15 or year 20, I ask you to simply focus on this. If you walk away, year 15 or 20 starts tomorrow. And without any of the long-term access and verification safeguards that we have put in place, what is the alternative? What are you going to do when Iran does start to enrich, which they will feel they have a right to if we walk away from the deal? What are you going to do when the sanctions aren't in place and can't be reconstituted because we walked away from a deal that our five fellow nations... Now, I've heard critics suggest that the Vienna Agreement would somehow legitimize Iran's nuclear program. That is nonsense. Under the agreement, Iran's leaders are permanently barred from pursuing a nuclear weapon. And there are permanent restraints and access provisions and inspection provisions to guarantee that. And I underscore, if they try to evade that obligation, we will know it. Because a civil nuclear program requires full access 24-7, requires full documentation, and we will have the ability to track that as no other program before. The IAEA will be continuously monitoring their centrifuge production as centrifuge, so centrifuges cannot be diverted to a covert facility. For the next 25 years, the IAEA will be continuously monitoring uranium from the point that it is produced all the way through production so that it cannot be diverted to another facility. For the life of this agreement, however long Iran stays in the NPT and is living up to its obligations, they must live up to the additional protocol. And that additional protocol, as we can get into today, greatly expands the IAEA's capacity to have accountability. So this agreement, I'll close by saying this agreement gives us a far stronger detection capability, more time to respond to any attempt to break out toward a bomb, and much more international support in stopping it than we would have without the deal. If we walk away from this deal and then we decide to use military force, we're not going to have the United Nations or the other five nations that negotiated with us because they will feel we walked away. And make no mistake, President Obama is committed to staying with the policy of stopping this bomb. So in the 28 years, a little more that I privileged to represent Massachusetts. I had a 100% voting record on every issue for Israel. Here's where it gets into Israel, Dave. Great I don't care. Members of my family, others who care okay. enormously. I'll stop it. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if we necessarily need, yeah. need to get into that. It's, it's, you know, he just says that it, this benefits Israel, blah, 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 you know, and, and then he goes on after this whole thing. And I, I, I think, though, that I, I, I think the, the, that 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 about really presents the uh, the the strongest you know case that that at least can be made uh of 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 this deal and as i said before you know I, we all know Kerry's a liar we know that uh um that he's lied in the past he's certainly lied about chemical weapons use in in uh, syria um i i'd like to believe that this this deal is sincere is genuine uh, I think that, uh, um, as I stated in my introduction, the fact that the Israelis are hysterical uh, over um, over this deal, I, I think, signals that it's probably a fair deal. 
that is probably a good deal for the Iranians, and it's a good deal for for the Americans as well. And uh, and so that's why I support it, and uh, uh, and I think that I got to give some Obama some credit here for uh, for having had the uh, fortitude to see this thing through. So it's uh, I guess I got 60 days. It'll come up for a vote in Congress, and uh, and we'll see. And if uh, if they don't pass it, or if they pass something that rejects it, then Obama says he will veto that, assuming they don't get enough uh, for a two-thirds majority to uh, make a veto proof, which no one seems to think they will. So we'll have to see how this plays out, Dave. But uh, but I'm happy. You know, I think that it's it's positive, and I think that it's uh, uh, that it's a step forward. It's a step forward for for the world in general. I don't know how you feel about it, but. How much you've looked into it? Well, any time that there's diplomacy, it's a good thing, I think. I mean, you have a strong background in, uh, uh, you know, you were on nuclear submarines. You know, you had studied it. So it's not, it's, uh, you know, this this is not, I, I don't know to what extent you know about nuclear weapons or anything, but but my understanding, having read this and reading, you know, Federation uh, material from the Federation for American Scientists, who I think are, are pretty fair, uh, they've been accused of, of uh, um, uh, you know, uh, being somewhat establishment, but I think they're they're pretty fair. They had some good information on the dirty bombs, for instance, and uh, um, that Padilla, the guy who was accused of that, they had very good information, very helpful on that. Uh, they've also have uh, great information on uh, um, the, the weapons uh, the world powers uh, um, have, and so I think that that's pretty good. But uh, um, <clears throat> you know, they. Uh, they they certainly dispute some of these claims about Iran being you know on the cusp of being able to make a bomb and have this fissile material because it's it's uh, my understanding is is enriching it to the point that you actually create weapons grade material is not that simple. It's uh, you need specific centrifuges to do it. It's a fairly complicated process. Do you is is that do you know anything? Is that true? I, I don't I don't know to what extent. I don't want to put you on the spot here, Dave. Well, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, my my involvement in and that was obviously, as you said, on a submarine, trained trained in the propulsion unit. But I don't really know about the centrifuges. Yeah, and about enriching it. So we got to. Yeah, about I mean, I know a little bit about enriching, but you know, not to the yeah. extent of. I mean, and this was 30 years ago, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, we've gone over time here. I want to thank everybody for. Uh, sticking it through and dealing with some of these technical issues we've had that was uh unexpected to say the least yeah. here uh yeah power outages, a little power outages. It, it 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 s happens you know i mean that's it and so uh we uh i called it with my cell phone and I, I understand the quality was was okay but it wasn't great but that's fine at least we got the information out there and we got the show done the show went on no matter what and that's the point well so i want to thank the listeners and thank uh, everybody for tuning in here and uh, let you know that uh, uh, we'll be here next Friday uh, and uh, uh, Monday. Uh, I think I think we're not going to the, the show on Monday is not going to go off because I think that uh, Paul Angel is traveling this weekend, so he will not be doing his show on Monday. I have to follow up with him. Uh, but Wednesday, Dave will be back. Uh, Dave had a good show on uh, uh, two days ago. That's in the archive section. Uh, with uh, Wolfgang Halbig, and uh, he's a rather controversial individual. So on, on Sandy Hook, people seem to like that. So anyways, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I uh, uh, hope you have a good weekend, and a good rest of your day, and a good weekend. And uh, uh, please come back, join us again, listen in next week. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning into the Farm Radio Show on the Overthrow Radio Network, hosted by Blog Talk Radio. The Farm airs live every Friday from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. Overthrow Radio Network has other great shows as well. On Mondays, tune into History Today with host Paul Angel from 10 to noon Eastern Time. And every Wednesday, there's Who's the Bad Guy with host Dave Gahari from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. For more details, check out Overthrow Radio Network's website at overthrowradio.com. And please take a moment to make a donation to support Free Speech Radio. If you value free speech in the United States, you should definitely support it. Have a great rest of your day, and see you next week.